Harumph Hurrah. Good afternoon. Welcome oh. to... How are... <laughs> what the hell? Uh, good afternoon. Welcome to episode 106 of the North v South podcast. The podcast that is and isn't about design. I'm Rob Turpin, and in the Shire is John Ellerman. Hello, John. Hello. I was going to yell, uh, what? What? Then. Were you? Yeah. Uh, any particular reason? <clears throat> well, it's the opening to Beowulf, and apparently Tolkien used to do it when he presented to his uh, his students. I'll bear that in mind. <clears throat> it just gets your attention, doesn't it? It certainly it, does. It could be misconstrued, misheard. <clears throat> yeah. Anyway, how are you? Hi, I'm good. I haven't spoken to you for a few weeks. Where have you been? No, I've been in Iceland, John. Did I oh, not mention right. that? No. <laughs> yeah. I'm, uh, I came back on Sunday from two weeks traveling around Iceland with my dad. Uh, and it was amazing. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was much more than either of us anticipated. You know, it doesn't matter how many photographs you see of Iceland or how many vlogs or you watch or how many blogs you read about it. Uh, nothing really prepares you for it. It's the most remarkable country I've ever been to. Um, and the, the the one thing I would say above all else that gets you is the scale of it. We kind of always think about Iceland as being like a little country, a little island in the North Atlantic, but it just gives you the biggest views, like mind-bendingly, jaw-droppingly, huge views it's remarkable never seen anything like it and what are the people like there the people are amazing they are incredibly friendly they all speak perfect english which makes for a very chilled holiday in a foreign country you know they learn it at school as they're you know just from the age of five i think so they all speak absolutely perfect flawless english with barely an accent um, and that's across the board. And, you know, older people all speak perfect English as well. Uh, and they're all really friendly. And they all, lots of them ask where you're from and kind of where you're going and where you've been and what you think of their country. Uh, they seem sort of genuinely interested in you. I mean, I think part of that was we were there, May is early season, really. And I think particularly as we got away from Reykjavik and into uh, slightly more remote parts of Iceland, people were really, some people were surprised to see tourists and um, were kind of pleased that we were visiting their bit of Iceland at that time of year. And I think those people were even more interested about, um, you know, what we thought of their country and what we're doing. And, but that, you know, a few people were even sort of grateful. I think they've had a bad time with COVID because, you know, they've had no tourists for two years. Um, and I think there was a bit of gratitude that people were finally coming back, which was nice. I recommend it, John. Uh-huh. I will put it on my uh, bucket list. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, only, it's also only three hours away. No, it's not far, is it? It's not. Um, flights are pretty cheap. Accommodation, I think, is reasonable price. Everything else is eye-watering. Um, like, genuinely. Oh, water! It all just adds up so much. Like you can go out for 
a couple of coffees and two slices of cake and get very little change from 25 quid. I imagine, um, I imagine to two Yorkshire men, that was most discomforting. <laughs> Particularly, <laughs> I mean, I'm slightly uh, inured to it having lived in um, London for 25 years, nearly. But uh, my dad, yeah, it was a bit of a shock for my dad. <laughs> Bless him. But, you know, he uh, he rallied well. He was all for uh, coffee and cake every afternoon and... All right, there uh, with your ice, clinky ice. Yes. So anyway, that's that's um, that's what I've been up to. Maybe we uh, are we going to talk about that at length? Perhaps. Uh, what's what's on your what's on your desk, John? Um, not an awful lot, to be honest. Um, uh, work-wise, I'm stuck in waiting for things from clients, um, and there's not a lot of work on at the moment um i've got a pile of old notebooks that i found that i was just i was i was looking i'm i'm sort of on the hunt for a new notebook um i've been just using scrap paper recently Mm. uh, and um i managed to throw away a load of really important notes and i realized what how important notebooks are actually you don't tend to throw them away, do you? No. So you can um, look up ideas. So, yeah, and I wanted a notebook. I, I don't know. I, we could talk about notebooks for a bit if you want. Absolutely. Everyone I'm loves all, a notebook. I'm all they? for talking about notebooks. <laughs> so I've always used moleskin just because I was given one, I don't know, 20 years ago as a present, a little little, little one. And they've now become quite popular, haven't they? They're quite ubiquitous. Mm. Um, but they, they st- they're still really good because they fold flat. And um, I tried another one, Lecterm 1917. Yeah. And they were meant to fold flat, more flat, and they don't. They don't at all. They, they really do not. No. Um, so, And I don't get all of the extra bits of tear-out pages and all that kind of stuff. There's loads yeah. in the back. I just want a plain. And I, and I like plain. I don't like lined or dotted or anything correct. else. Yep, is, that right? the, is that correct? That's correct, that's, that's correct yes. <laughs> is that <laughs> Is there a law that I should be following? Um, no, I, I think you you bang on there, John. Um, but it's quite an expensive sort of uh, to try to try different types. It's quite an expensive proposition. They're not cheap, are they? I they're mean, not, they're I like mean, fifteen to twenty quid each. Yeah, I'm holding up a, a standard A five ish moleskin, and yeah, I think the cheapest you can find those is about thirteen quid. I mean, that's a lot of money. Yeah, you know, a lot of people, you know, don't really approve of buying expensive notebooks and sketchbooks and so. You know, it doesn't make your writing any better, or it doesn't make your notes keep any better, or it doesn't make you draw any better. But there's, there's, you know, I'm allowed some little vices and pleasures in my life, and you know, a nicely put together sketchbook notebook is is one of those things. This we talked about this briefly yesterday. The what this is the one I was telling you about. I'm holding this up for the camera for John. Yeah, this is the Cottonwood Arts, and I think it was Mark Button, who's a concept designer, uh, who put me onto these. Uh, and they're kind of like a a more landscapey A5. So they're the same width as an A5 sheet, but a bit narrower. But um, they fold perfectly flat. And they're, yeah. they're just, they're lovely. And that extra kind of landscapiness is really quite nice. It's quite a nice format of proportion. Yeah. So, But that's quite bright white, isn't it? And it's more of a sketchbook. It is, which is the only thing that I really don't like about moleskins. That, that that paper is very yellow, mm-hmm. um, which if you're sketching and you know if you happen to scan stuff, it just adds a lot more work. Yeah. Did you come across any others in your uh, travels? Um, 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 
there was, um, well, they're hard to get hold of those American ones, the Collingwood ones. Um, Are they? Cottonwood, isn't Cotton, it? Cottonwood, Cottonwood Arts, Wood. yeah. I've had an email from, uh, who have I had an email from? Um, Andy, oh yeah, Baron Fig, another one. Oh yeah. Again, no UK distributors. So. Like moleskin, but more expensive. Are they more expensive? Yeah. I'm just going to take off my headphones one moment, please. Right, I'm back. Uh, Baron Fig. Dusty old. This is a book of... Sketch, oh, right. Sketchbooks. There's a lot in there. It's a big Tupperware box full of old sketchbooks. I think this is a Baron Fig one. Um, it hasn't got an awful lot in it. That's it's a, It does lay nice and flat. So, yeah, they lay nice, quite nice and flat, and they're a little brighter white than... Um, than a moleskin, not as white as the Cottonwood Arts, but yeah, I th- I've got a feeling they were s- sort of stupid expensive, the Baron Fig ones. Um, but maybe right. that's just because I was buying them sort of, you know, third party from some posh stationery place. And why do they have to be uh, hardback? I just can't get along with um, softback notebooks. Um, I mean, even though I very rarely sketch outside or sort of sketch on my lap, but, you know, I like to be sat at a table. Um, I don't know. There's just something about softback ones that I can't really get my head around. This is it. I've got a nice lecterm one here. The good thing about lecterms is they come in nice colours. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, there's very little... Um, oh. What's that? Uh, lecterms come with one of those little gridded sheets that you can put beneath the pages which is quite nice I'll have to keep that out I don't know what else is going on in there um, but yeah I like the little contrasting um, elasticated things that you yeah. get in lecterns also the other thing with um, sketchbooks that have that elasticated thing I always turn them upside down and work from the other way around oh, is that? because then when you're you have a page open. I tend in sketchbooks when I'm drawing to only draw on the right-hand page. And then you can use that elastic band to keep your pages flat. Oh, right. Which doesn't yeah, work if you good. use them the other way around. You did say, um, can we talk about sketchbooks? Um, you, you know, you've, a- gone f- you've gone the full, full <laughs> geek, haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm wondering, yeah, people listening. Uh, uh, are there any people any, still any listening? Notebooks. Yeah, I don't know. We don't have to jazz, jazz it up now. Yeah. So I'm going to go from like the, the joy of notebooks to, yeah, um, yeah I've just been um, re- reworking out postage on my website for sales, right? which just seems to get more and more complicated every month we move away from Brexit. Uh, the Royal Mail now have split Europe into three zones. Of course. So, um, yeah, so you're not just posting to one thing. There are three price zones for Europe, and they don't. It doesn't seem to be very. Uh, it's just very random mm. who's in what what zone. So, yeah, that's added more complexity to an already very complicated um, situation. Trying to sell anything outside of the UK. Have you thought about um, moving to Ireland? <laughs> I've thought about shutting down. Mm. <laughs> um, I'm, yeah, I'm just really, really struggling to get any kind of traction anywhere. And um, prices have just gone up through, again. Uh, the um, print, the paper prices have gone up. Um, yeah, it's, it's just going to be very, very difficult to uh, 
to to sell like you know set it art people yeah i just don't think uh i don't think that there's going to be a market for it and so i'm sort of looking at other things that we can that we can do to try and generate some money but um i'm guessing like uh acting as a representative in the uk for artists wanting to sell here but if the market's not here because nobody's got any money then yeah. it's kind of a uh, a waste of time so yeah i think maybe uh in an up-and-coming um episode we should talk about what can what can we do to try and um what can we shift into what can we do to try and uh, generate money absolutely um, now that we've uh separated ourselves from the rest of the world pretty much if it, uh, it feels like i'm we're li- i mean living in a very isolated island at the moment yeah, it does um, that that doesn't have any kind of friends uh that we can you know mm. team up with or or do any business with it's it's really really depressing um yeah. So um and yeah, so I've been just updating posted prices. Bloody which tough. Is not very not very creative or very uh, interesting. No, but it's but part of the business, isn't it? Mm. You know, it's not all glamour. Is any of it glamour? No, I don't think so. Um no, I think it's just really, really t- I think, you know, it's really, really tough for people out there at the moment. So um yeah, I'm just trying to think of ways to to brighten the corners, yeah, as it were. Absolutely. Um as is that Thelonious Monk right in the corner? I don't know, but Did I like, like it. That? Uh, anyway, yeah, and the other thing is, oh yeah, Boo, I've got a nice, um, I've got a bull, a pet bullfinch teddy bear. Well, that's still deli- that's delightful. Is, is that accurate? Uh, it's a bit sadder sound than that, mm. a real bullfinch. Um, but um, Boo got hold of it this morning, and it's been oh destroyed, it's missing an eye. Yeah. yeah. Oh dear. She goes for the eyes first. <laughs> So yeah, you ever come visiting? <laughs> She's only tiny, so don't lie yeah, on the floor. Exactly. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. What? Else, what else? Um, I've been. My wife and I. My wife and I have started watching the Staircase, oh. which is. Um, it, did you ever watch the Netflix uh, murder documentaries? But a French. Um, documentary on uh, this guy called michael peterson yeah. in the united states uh his wife was found at the bottom of a stairwell um with her head caved in uh, okay well not a head cave but she died of um well i don't know just bled to death yes. i guess i don't know how she died probably. no i didn't see that uh, and now you've just reminded me that i've seen something about the staircase yeah, so the original documentary was called The Staircase, and now they've remade it into a drama with um, Colin Firth mm. as the uh, as the protagonist. Well, I don't know if he's a protagonist, the murderer, let's say, or potential murderer. Um, and uh, it's yeah, it's really really good. Yeah. So it's it's so meta, it's n- not even believable because the the documentary follows the um, the murder case, um, his subsequent. Uh, bail and then his and then his um conviction and then he got got and then he gets released uh, over a course of i don't know 15 odd years so but this series kind of breaks open that it starts of, as a v- very much a uh, tv you know one of those 1980s tv murder movies and then the second episode suddenly just completely changes and it it's sort of i don't know it splits into memory and um and then the documentary is filming the f- oh wow <laughs> the thing it's yeah it's really meta and uh really enjoying it i'm on about i think i'm on about episode four that sounds moment. good um yeah but colin uh colin firth is fantastic in it yeah. and he's got the vo- the voice of the blokes spot on um, is it british yeah. or american no it's american okay. so it's set in um uh 
Virginia or Carolina, right. somewhere like that, somewhere like that. So sort of semi Southern states mm. of America, um, in a, in a very strange family setup. Um, yeah, I, I, I um, I recommend mm. reading into Let's it because it. it's a, it's a fascinating, if you like a bit yeah, of yeah, a murder yeah. mystery. Yeah. Um, so I've been watching that, uh, reading or oh, just carrying on with, um, this trilogy of called Ravenna, yeah. uh, Dan, Dan Abnett books. I'm on the third and final one now. Um, they're all a bit much the same, to be honest, after a while. And I have actually read all the Jurassic Park book because oh. I watched Jurassic Park again with my daughter. Um, and, uh, I do love that film. It's so good. And I thought, oh, I've never read the books. And I read them and I realized, well, I haven't read them. He's, it, they're pretty rubbish. Um, they're very formulaic. I've only and read the there's f- lots- first one. Oh, the second one was awful, but there's lots of like action scenes. And then in the middle of it, they'll have a deep discussion while they're running mm. away from a T-Rex about, um, you know, gene sequencing yeah. or something like that. Did, it's, it's, did Crichton write them all? I thought he only wrote, he wrote two. Oh, okay. I didn't yeah. know if he died before the second one. No, but the Jurassic World, or lo- the Lost World, sorry, um, is uh, it, the story is very different to the to the film. Okay. You can see why they the film went away from the story yeah. because it's, it's it's quite boring actually. Uh, yeah, so and that's that's about it really. I haven't uh, other than that. I've been just um, yeah. I haven't been doing anything, oh. so yeah. Well, that's fair enough. Uh, the only <laughs> other stuff on my desk really, because obviously I've been away for two weeks. Uh, I've been going through my uh, photos from Iceland. Um, I had a bit of camera woe while I was there. Oh, dear. And I don't quite know. I'm not like a power user of a camera. You know, I you know, I mostly shoot in aperture priority, and that's kind of it. I don't really fiddle about with any uh, technical settings on the camera. You know, everything's else is sort of set to um, auto. Um, and I don't know if something went wrong with the camera or whether I accidentally fiddled with some setting. But about a week in, um, it just didn't seem to be metering the light properly. So shadows were coming out really dark. Skies were coming out bright white. And there was very little in between. And I couldn't figure it out. And then, so for about 10 days in, I thought, well, the only thing I can do is do a factory reset. Yeah. So I did that. And it seemed to help a bit, maybe, but I don't know if that's just because maybe the weather was different, not quite as contrasty. But when I came to look at my photographs, I realized that doing the factory reset had changed the settings from shooting RAW to shooting JPEG. So my last seven or eight hundred photographs, I think, are all JPEGs, which is a real pain because you can't do as much editing with the JPEG. And kind of my workflow is all set up for editing raw. Yeah. So I'm really annoyed at myself. I mean, I don't take a lot of pictures. So it's, you know, it's about maybe a quarter of my pictures are JPEGs rather than raw. Um, it's really annoying, but it made me realize that I need to understand my camera a lot better. You know, I very much do just kind of shoot aperture priority and not really worry about anything else on it. Yeah. Cause um, it, it, the performance in your camera can really change by the, um, metering mode. You change it. Yeah, exactly. And also the autofocus, how you set that can really mm. slow it down. If yeah. you go to pinpoint, um, 
as opposed yeah. to sort of. So I didn't, I didn't notice anything changing, but even just looking through the viewfinder, everything was really I, contrasting. I've had dark, that on so. my Panasonic before, uh, my old one, um, mm. where it just, yeah, it just kept blowing out all the, all the different highlights yeah. and it was exposure sort of related. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to have to go through all the settings with uh, Google in front of me or the <laughs> Fuji. You don't get a manual with them anymore, do you? Oh, Jesus, no, you do not. Uh, so that oh, was annoying. But, yeah. um, so uh, how, that's, did, how did the drone go? Did you fire the drone, it up? The drone was great, and yes, I did. But uh, one, I'm a bit tentative with the drone if there's lots of people around. So I tended not to use it if there was lots of people around. Two, you can't use it in any other national parks in Iceland. And certain other kind of touristy sites, you're not allowed to use it in either. So that kind of limits you a bit. Uh, And the third thing was, it's very windy in Iceland. (laughs) Uh, So I think I probably had the drone out about on about five days, I think. Um, And maybe maybe got kind of about 15 flights or something out of it, which... um, doesn't sound like a lot, but I think there's some really nice stuff there. There was a couple of places that I was keen to use a drone and got to use it. So uh, Vesterholm Beach, uh, well, kind of Stocksnest Beach, which is where Vesterholm Mountain is. Uh, I got it out for quite a bit there, which was amazing. And then just a couple of times, just kind of in the middle of nowhere, getting it high up above these kind of endless roads across the landscape. Um, and also there was... Uh, some crazy canyon that I can't can't pronounce where I I did some flying quite low through the canyon and under a bridge and stuff which was quite cool um yeah so it was good I really enjoyed it but it's very sensitive to the wind you know there were a lot of times where I tried to get it in the air and it was just telling me no right um oh it actually warns you does it yeah yeah there's a, a place called the black church of Buthia which is kind of like a famous little black church. And all the photographs you see of it are really moody and everything. And we got there and it was bright sunshine, blue skies. So not ideal for photography, but I thought I'd get the drone out and I thought it's it's right at its limit wind-wise. And basically I could get the drone in the air and it had just about managed to stay still and that was it. Couldn't right. really move it around at all. Um, but it was great. I enjoyed it. It was, it was good fun. Um, there were, I mean, I, I was sort of good. If I was, you know, if there were signs saying you can't use a drone, I didn't use your drone, didn't use the drone. But there were a lot of people using drones. <laughs> so a lot of people just ignore it. Um, and maybe if I was there again and I was there early and there were no people around them, maybe I'd do that. Yeah. It makes you realise actually how many of these amazing kind of drone shots you see of Iceland you know, people are just absolutely disregarding the the rules because there's so many places you are forbidden to use drones. Yeah. <clears throat> but it was good fun. Excellent. Uh, so what else have I got on my desk? I've got Neil Gaiman's Norse Mythology book on my desk because obviously just been to Iceland. There's lots of little bits about Norse mythology and stuff oh, i've yeah. had that book for years and i've never me, read it so yeah me too it. i i've never read it <laughs> yeah so i'm gonna give that a read um and that's about it ah. 
Do we want to do a little bit of news? Yeah, why not? Um, some of my news is a bit old because we sort of missed a couple of weeks and mm, then um, that's all right. And then COVID and all that jazz. Mm. Um, okay, so uh, here's my first one: the uh, happy birthday to the ZX Spectrum. Uh, it's 40 years ago wow. in April uh, last month that it was uh, was launched. Um, and there's a really good. I'll put the link in the show notes um, on GitHub blog um page sort of highlighting all the different things that people are still using to do That's with ZX spectrum it? yeah and i'll come back to uh the site i really like um afterwards but yeah uh, it's a sort of it's an amazing computer wasn't it i never actually had one at the time um it was only my stepfather's um mother had one and mm-hmm. she gave it to us to play with um but this was quite a few years after it had been released um i never had one at the time and we couldn't afford one but yeah. um yeah I, re- I really really wanted one but i yeah. know all i'd have done was play games on it it was well, absolutely <laughs> well i i had one and i it probably must have been 1983 i think i think i was still at primary school so maybe the the year i went to comprehensive school but i think i i got one and everyone else had started talking about you know ataris and things at that point because it was it was quite soon after that you know other kind of personal computers came out all people were talking about consoles cartridge consoles but i got one and i remember it came with like a a set of games and they were you know they were terrible really there was horoscope skiing and yeah. uh some kind of frogger like game, but there was Jet Set Willy, yeah, and I loved that game. I absolutely <laughs> adored that game. I would still play that now. All right, so cool. Was that the sequel to Manic Miner? Was it? No, but it was. It was a similar sort of thing. All right, okay, um, yeah. But no, I loved it. I had uh, uh, a Spectrum forty eight K little cassette player yeah. and a and a portable yeah, that was TV. Good. Good. I, I, yeah, I loved the rubber keys and the way yeah. that you shifted things. Uh, yeah, it was, a, it was super cool design, yeah. wasn't it? Super yeah, neat. It was. And I did do a bit of programming. I remember there were lots of magazines on the market at the time yeah. about because, how to program. And yeah, yeah. you know, you can. I think the only the only thing I ever finished was like a almost like a fairground shooting game where you right. programmed ducks to go by and you could aim and shoot the ducks. Which, See, you, know, you were a coder. Quite some, I was a coder back in the day. <laughs> Before it was cool, yeah. Forty years, hard to believe. I know, I know. Um, uh, passwords are going to be a thing of the past very soon. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, um, there's a thing called Fast Identity Online for the Fido Alliance, and Apple and Google and others have mm. just joined it. Um, I think this is going to be an interesting piece of technology. How um, does it work? Ke- keeping us secure. It's kind of. Um, it uses biometrics, so it could be like a fingerprint scanner or a face or a face unlocking on your device, which mm. will then remotely unlock websites, passwords, anything on remote devices. Okay. So, uh, rather than at the moment, you probably the most secure way of um, securing things is using a third party authenticator app. I don't know if yep. you've had had to use yeah, that before. Yeah. So you can get a thing called Authy, or I think Google have one. And it will just generate a little code that you can then you, you generate it on your handheld and mm-hmm. plug it into the website. Whereas I think this is going to streamline it all so that you just literally look or 
have your finger read and then that will, and then it talks to the device, which then talks to the remote, uh, device that you're using. So mm. whether that's a, um, a, a laptop or a tablet or whatever, and then it will unlock from your, um, from your phone. So, um, yeah, it will become a lot easier. You won't have to be remembering passwords. I imagine this is going to take a good 10, 15 years to, to, uh, f- you know, bubble yeah. up through because you'll still have uh, passwords for, I don't know, wireless routers and all that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess, you know, passwords are already sort of becoming a bit of the thing of the past. If you're, you know, just at your machine all the time, right? you, you very rarely have to type anything in these days. Even if you're I think you'd things. be surprised, Rob, have you spoken to parents recently about their passwords? Do your, do your parents have like a, a book of passwords that they have sitting by their yes, computer? They, yes, they do. And they use the same password for multiple websites, That's but true. they can't remember whether they've used zeros or O's for, in the letters. Is yeah. It, yeah, I know. We're this, the is same. Why, this is why parents always end up with more than one account of a certain yeah. type. Oh, <laughs> so I've got two Facebook accounts. I don't know how it happened. <laughs> Yeah, I know. But yeah, so I don't know if that's going to uh, okay. it's going to go away anytime soon. But it's an interesting thing that uh, that big um, tech companies are, you know, uh, are joining forces. Um, mm. I wouldn't go on their website, the FidoAlliance.org. It's very, very um, dry. Dry. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it sounds it. Yeah. A yeah. <laughs> uh, little bit of news, uh, which I'm involved in. The Birmingham Design Festival is Ooh. coming up. Um, we talked about this last year, I think, or maybe the year before. On yeah, the show. we were pray- saying how good it was. Uh, yeah. You know, their campaign and poster and, yeah. Really, yeah, really, really. nice. Um, so I'm talking at this year's. Wow. Um, I've been invited to give a talk. Um, so they've got different sort of banners, illustration, graphics. I uh, can't remember what the others are. Uh, so I'm doing a little talk on the under the illustration banner. Um on the Saturday, Saturday the 10th of June. So it runs 9th to the 11th of June. And throughout the day, you can, I think, sort of buy a general ticket and you can then access all sorts of free events and workshops and talks. And then the evening talks, uh, the kind of big name ones, and you can get tickets for those, you know, Mr. Bingo and Spin and kind of people you've heard of. Rather than me, who giving a free talk, but um, well, yeah, it's quite exciting. Um, nauseatingly anxious about it, obviously. <laughs> um, what are you talking about? Well, I think I'm going to talk about how I've turned a hobby of you know doodling spaceships into something that's approaching a career. So yeah. you know, passion to. That's a really, that would be really uh, useful for people, won't it? I yeah, uh, and I think specifically, uh, particularly because my thing is sort of genre-based, and I think that's a harder bit of um, illustration to kind of get your head around. There isn't really any much advice for people doing genre-based illustrations. You know, the AOI, the Association of Illustrators, and kind of, the kind of big players in the market all seem to talk about sort of editorial or book covers or illustration for design. Um, so it's a, a bit of a, a niche talk, but um, yeah, mm. it should be fun. Uh, and what's what's on your rider? Uh, I haven't, we haven't discussed the rider. I mean, obviously Tunnocks. Yeah, yeah, uh, Tunnocks, yeah. Tunnocks, Tunnocks and maybe some San Pellegrino. San <laughs> <laughs> Changed. Um, and are they paying you? No, 
They're not paying me, but they are paying all my expenses in a Travel. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's good. So that's all good. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, More than happy with that. So that's exciting. So I'll keep you updated. All right. Well, that will lead me nicely onto an article written by a friend of the show, Mike Reed. Uh, well, friend, uh, you, you, you know him better than I do, but um, he has written a, a, an article called um, Creators of Professional Professionals Treat Them Professionally. And it's a great art. It's a great article about um, how he thinks that um, um, that creatives are undervalued, how that they should be paid, they should stand up for themselves, but they should mm. also be treated with respect uh, by agencies or um, marketing, you know, or businesses. Um, and uh, yeah, it's on it's on LinkedIn. This article, sadly, um, <laughs> I don't know whether where whether it originated there. Um, but yeah, it's a really, he, I mean, he's got a lovely way with words. I mean, it's not surprising. Um, but yeah, he, um, he really says, you know, stop giving your work away for free. He's, yeah. he's, he's good. Mike, he talks sense. Um, you know, he, he runs a brilliant copywriting agency, um, who do amazing work with some big old brands, but, uh, he also talks quite straightforwardly about the, the business of kind of the specifics of what he does and the, the you know the larger creative industry um, as a whole, and he's a nice guy. Yeah, he uses the usual. Um, you wouldn't suggest paying a plumber or uh, an electrician or whatever. Um, they would quite rightly tell you to um, yes to do yes, one. They, yes, they would. So um, likewise with your creatives, um, you know pay them but we must also say that we need to uh be more um we need to teach people to be much more um business focused and not give away work for free um and not to muddle up the fact of being amateur and professional if you if you want to make money from something you're professional and you need to be professional about it you can't be shy about asking for money um otherwise you might as well not do it you know you know or just or just go back to doing it for fun but don't don't complain about not earning any money and working a lot Mm. if you are giving work away for free or for very very little exactly And, and and that attitude it's you know, it's, it's very difficult because it's kind of a circular thing. That attitude makes it more difficult for other creatives to, to earn their worth because if there are always people who are prepared to do things cheaply or for free, then that kind of sets the market, you know. And then if you're an illustrator and someone's asked you to do something for for exposure and you say, no, I need paying, well, you know, there are other people out there who are going to do it for free. Um so we need to kind of the industry as a whole just needs to address that. You know, free pitches should be out, working for exposure should be out. You know, yeah. there's a responsibility from the people at the top to uh, to sort of set the standards. I think. Yeah, because young people new to the industry and young people, you know, are always going to be tempted to try and do that thing, that sort of thing, because they they need to get their foot in the door. Going to uh, learning how to draw, uh, there's a new Kickstarter. It's still running at the moment. And you've spoken about these brothers before, the the Etherington brothers. Yeah, they're got fantastic. Their, they've got their fifth book out. On They only sell through Kickstarter. You can't get their books anywhere else. So I've actually, I've actually um, backed this Kickstarter. I haven't um, 
bought their new book. I've just bought their first three. Yep. I think that'll, that'll do. And I want to give it to my daughter. I think it will be a really good She'll absolutely res- resource for her um, as she grows up. I've got, I've got the first four and I think I'll probably pass on, on this fifth one. I think, uh, I mean, I don't know what, what there's left for them to teach you how to draw. They're, they're so comprehensive, their books, and they cover such a range of things. Um, they're just really quite remarkable. I know, you know, they're incredibly successful on on Kickstarter. But um, yeah, so I might I might leave this one. But also, you don't you you could just buy the fifth book. You know, it's not as if they teach you in any order. Each book has just got kind of a range of subjects that oh, they. Right. Okay. That's hard to know from that. Yeah, because I just mm. thought, yeah, I thought I don't want five, and they're two. You know, three yeah. of them is enough. Um, but they've raised. They wanted their pledge was a thousand quid, and they've made four hundred ninety-two thousand pounds. That's the power of a low target on Kickstarter. Yeah, because if you exceed your target quickly, uh, Kickstarter algorithms recognise that as being a very successful campaign, and you get promoted to more people. Right, in the kind of Kickstarter discover thing. But they obviously knew before how much they were going to be. I mean, they've done this countless times, right? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm pretty sure one of their campaigns has raised over a million. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah they it. know what they're doing. I mean, they're incredibly professional um, about kind of all aspects of the Kickstarter. You know, it's a, it's a campaign that you can really trust. Um, you know, they're going to deliver what they say they're going to deliver. They're going to do it on time and the product's going to be great. So, yeah, get get over to uh, to them on Kickstarter. Yeah. Um, Again, I'll put the link in the uh, in the show notes. Mm. Um, technology uh, is not always a good thing. We've uh, we've addressed this. Not you know the old adage of just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. Yeah. Uh, Marvel Studios has obtained the license of Stanley's likeness um, to use in future projects. Oh God, not this stupid 3d film footage it's worse than you think because before stanley's death for the two or three years before he died he was engaged in a sort of a messy uh battle over his the, the rights to his product and his kind of legacy um he found he co-founded a production house called power entertainment in 2001 this was kind of after you know he was sort of finished producing stuff for Marvel, I guess. And he sued them in 2018 for forging his signature on legal documents. Uh, and it was really uh, kind of brought to the fore on this thing about sort of elder abuse and um, and stuff. But anyway, after his death, the, the lawsuit was just dropped not long before Stan died. And it's this company, Power Entertainment, the co-founders have now released or have leased uh, or licensed Stan's likeness and kind of legacy back to Marvel for them to use in future products, whether that's, you know, digital recreations of him as uh, cameos in films or, you know, his voice in theme park attractions. And uh, it's just pretty shitty, really, I think. I don't think Marvel needs Stanley's likeness. Uh, they weren't that Marvel traditionally haven't been brilliant to 
their career is in the past, particularly, you know, giving people a fair whack of money from movies that are, you know, successful due to the comics that were created by people. And the whole thing about, you know, Stan suing his co-founders of this company, obviously wasn't happy with that arrangement himself. And they've just kind of said, sod it, we'll, uh, we'll license it anyway. So it's very sad and it, doesn't cast Marvel in a particularly good light, I don't think. That's gross. Yeah. <clears throat> Something that uh, I haven't got hold of yet, but um, puts a bit a smile on my face, is anything that PJ Harvey makes. And mm. um, she just released a uh, a book called Orlam, which is a book of her poetry. Okay. Um, and it's um, set in uh, Dorset. It's about a... Well, the poems are sort of centred on a, the, the the early years of a uh, a girl called Ira Abel Rowles or Wolves, and um, yeah, their their poems they are actually in Dorset dialect as well, um, oh, wow. which is fantastic. So um, yeah, I, um, go and have a look at it um, again. Just the visuals are beautiful. It's a beautiful book, and her language is incredible. Um, yeah. So uh, I I quite like to hear her reading it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I haven't, Big haven't fan heard of her reading it. Yeah, she's awesome. She is. Uh, another bit of heartwarming news. Uh, here's what this one. This guy was called. This guy's called Richard Clark. Um, did you see this one on in on Twitter? Uh, he oh. is a Doctor Who producer director, um, and he posted a little shot of his uh, son, who's really into wood turning. His son Gabriel. I did see this. And this is how uh, the internet has transformational powers of good and bad as well. There's, there's downsides of this story. But he was being picked on at school for being into woodwork. I don't think he was necessarily being bullied that much, but he no. didn't have any followers, et cetera, et cetera. So his dad went away and um, and went onto Twitter and said, Come, give, it, give him some love, will you? And before he knew it, uh, he had, you know, not just 60 followers as he wanted, but uh, – Tens of thousands. I don't know how many he's got now. I haven't. I haven't looked at the last time I the looked. Update. The last time I looked, I think he had like two hundred thousand. <laughs> but then, so um, he had loads of orders uh, for bowls and uh, all the bits that he can that he can make. But he decided just to make one object, which was an, an object for a bowl for to raise money for Ukraine. And he has ro- raised now over a quarter of a million quid. Is it? I don't, amazing, that it? was I don't, my I don't last check. Um, Just but recently, his um, his Instagram account got hacked, um, which is happening more and more to people, it isn't is. it? Um, and it was taken over, and even the uh, defence secretary um, uh, got involved in trying to retrieve Ooh. the. Uh, yes, um, I don't know. I don't know the the outcome of that story. I should have really read read more, shouldn't I? But um, I haven't. I haven't updated this story for a while. But yeah, what a, what a heartwarming story of uh, of success as well. And uh, hopefully that will now bring him into um, you know if this is what he wants to do in his yeah, career. Absolutely. And, I mean that's just incredible, isn't it? Mm. That 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 little um, plea for help can just transform. It can be fantastic. Social media, not just their lives, but the people that yeah. they're now going to help. Yeah. Amazing. That's it. That is a good story. That whole thing about you mentioned people are getting their Instagrams hacked more and more often. Um, it really fills me with fear. Um, I won't mention their name, but a friend of ours uh, had their Instagram hacked recently. And they talked about just how impossible it is to contact Instagram to do anything about it. You know, there's forms to fill in, but then there's no way to kind of follow up. There's no one to speak to. 
Uh, and in the end, he only really got his account back because he'd bumped into someone who worked at Instagram at a conference and was able oh, to right. contact them for for additional help. Um, right. But it does fill me with fear, and a lot of you know a lot of artists whose careers and you know the client base essentially is social media. You know, to lose that, it's like you know, it's a real big thing. So I've, you know, I think even two-factor authentication can uh, fail. Yeah I, don't, yeah, I don't know how these people are hacking, and let's not talk about specifics. But uh, yeah, two-factor authentication doesn't seem to protect against this. So that's rubbish. This, um, yeah. So the Gabriel River Clark, he's now got two hundred and fifty-four thousand followers. Good on him. <laughs> From six. Good yeah. on you, Gabriel. So, um, yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, another kind of social media-y type bit of news. Uh, Jason Kotka, who runs the Kotka.org um, blog, which is kind of like a, a curated aggregator site for interesting and creative uh, postings and blog posts and just creative stuff. And it's a fantastic site. Um, I've followed him for a long time. I'm a subscriber to Kotka.org. Uh, and he is taking a sabbatical. Uh, and I think good for him because he's been working on the site kind of almost nonstop for, I think he said, 18 years. Um, and it's a full-time job. And it also, because of the nature of it, he's he can't really switch off from the internet or from social media because that's what the site is about. It's a, It's about, you know looking for what's interesting online and posting it for his followers and readers. Um, and I think that inability to, to switch off, you know, if that's your kind of livelihood must be quite a strain, particularly over the last couple of years when the news has been almost unremittingly challenging, um, so I'm, I'm kind of thinking good for him for, you know, being able to take some time out and switch off. Um, and there's there's one bit he talks about, uh, if I can just find this. Uh, bear with me. Um, here's the way I've been thinking about it. There's a passenger ferry that goes from Cape Cod to Nantucket. And there's a stretch of time in the middle of the journey where you can't see the mainland behind you and you can't yet see the island ahead. You're just out in open water. That's what I need to be in that middle part, to forget about what I've been doing here for so many years without having to think about where I'm going in the future. I need open water and five or six months feels about the right time to find it. So I hope he does find it. I hope he comes back refreshed and with a perhaps a, a new way of looking at... Um, how he's going to run Kotka if that's what he decides he's going to carry on doing. But I think we all need a bit of time to switch off and get away from things. Um, and I don't think we should be afraid of, of doing that if we can. No, there's a tendency to do it even more, isn't there? Mm-hmm. The more the more stressed you become about it, the more yeah. you'll go into that dreadful dark scroll. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just put it, put it down and yeah. uh, walk away from it. I think, you know, at the end of the day, if it, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, um, 
it's it's hard, isn't it? I mean, it is. You know, Obviously, you also need to be able to afford to walk away from things for five or six months, which not many people can. No, absolutely. Um, talking of making a mess, um, I saw this photograph of um, uh, NASA's helicopter f- photographing um, the landing, the debris and landing area from the Perseverance uh, mission. And it just, it, it filled me with sadness because <laughs> it looks like, um, you know, when we had lockdown and there were people having parties out in in parks yeah, and then yeah. just leaving it the next day and just this debris everywhere. I mean, we can't go to anywhere without leaving indelible mess everywhere mm. we go. This is meant to be a positive uh, thing of, of uh, exploring Mars, but all we're doing is leaving trash all over it. It just <laughs> makes me really, really sad. Yeah, there's a lot of trash on the moon as well, you know, yeah. def- defunct bits and pieces, crashed boosters, you know, landing stages of Apollo missions, uh, you know, probably, uh, you know, a few dozen kilos of poo. Um, yeah, we do. It's make- like you know, on top of Everest as well, isn't there? There's just, just tons horrific. and tons of rubbish. And- yeah, when you see the photographs of of Everest and people queuing up to actually summit the mountain, oh, I just, can't just even. I can't awful. even watch it. Awful. I'm I'm spending more and more time in uh, in deep, uh, you know, other realities. <laughs> <laughs> you know, have yeah. you uh, have you uh, reincarnated your second life uh, avatar? <laughs> No, no, just playing with plastic soldiers. Okay, um, good for so you. So the other thing is, uh, yeah, so you must be happy at the moment with um, the collapse of crypto uh, currency as we know it, uh, NFT sales plummeting. I'm um, so but delighted. The, but, the en- but the energy use still goes on. Yes. Um, because people are still mining. Um, yeah, so uh, the, the big news is that the um, – the stable coin, the thing that's meant to be the gold standard of mm-hmm. it, cryptocurrency, uh, decoupled from its, um, it's it's meant to stay at one dollar basically, which yeah. which is what all the cryptocurrencies track at, and it got absolutely wiped out because it turns out that actually the money that backs it was completely um, non-existent. Um, so it decoupled and therefore dropped. Like uh, I think it's Luna that is the coin that's associated with the with the US tether mm. as it's known. Um, and that has gone down to, I think it's now valued at about one cent, something like that. Yeah. Um, it's had an impact on all the other so-called stable coins as well, isn't it? Lots of them are now trading at like 97 cents or. Well, and not, not just that, yeah, not just those, but also all, all of the, um, the, all the other cryptocurrencies mm. and, uh, D, D, DFI, um, sort of, you know, all these new technologies that are being built up. Turns out that a lot of them don't even exist. They're not there. They're just uh, being ponzied. Um, Exactly. It's Yeah, there's an article uh, in Bloomberg this week um, where it's an interview between Sam Bankman-Fried and their um, columnist, um, Matt Levine. Uh, and it's again, I'll put the link in the show notes, but it's just worth reading that this guy is just basically describing pyramid scheme. Absolutely. So none of these technologies. Well, not that's, that's unfair. Quite a few of them are proper technologies that are going to be used by banking or mm. you're going to, they're going to replace interest rate tracking or whatever, but you know, 99% of them are just nothing. They're, yeah. they're, they're people value. It's like art, isn't it? We were talking about this. It's yeah. like people putting value on art 
that doesn't it's not it's not a price of what the artist put into it or the materials they use but it's an it's a sort of conce- a concept of yeah, because, i think this is worth x million dollars so yeah, do you and yeah and because a lot of the crypto uh communities kind of it's all intertwined you know like you say it's like a pyramid scheme you know you've got one cryptocurrency propped up by you know currency in another crypto exchange you know it's like trying to buy art with art yeah well this um, is the yeah this is the NF, uh, nft thing isn't it it's, uh... crazy um, there was a good uh someone had put on um twitter this comment from a some crypto bro about uh i think he'd lost you know the value of his of his currency had you know disappeared and he said uh, he was an American. He was saying the Securities and Exchanges Commission should cover crypto losses like they do with traditional banking. <laughs> and uh, he didn't seem to quite uh, grasp the irony of the whole thing about you know crypto being decentralized and unregulated uh, by the big banks. And there yeah. he was, essentially asking for handouts. I think, well, there we go. But I think that people live in their truths, don't they? And they, and when when it, when it's when it's opened up to them that what they believe is is actually a lie, mm. it's very hard for them to remove themselves from that. It takes a long time or a very strong will yeah. to uh, to sort of uncouple yourself from that belief. But um, yeah, I think we're going to now see mass regulation and um, and and better things coming into the into the community. It has mm. to, doesn't it? They can't Absolutely. they can't do this again. Um, yeah, it won't be able to happen again. Mm. Um, but yeah, like I was, somebody was arguing with me about uh, you know the stablecoin being a good replacement for gold. But you can't buy things with cryptocurrency. I mean, you can't. But you can't go. To, I can't go to my veg shop and buy you know a piece of broccoli, <laughs> yeah. you know, a floret uh, or two. Um, but uh, yeah, and gold. It, it has it has value. It has value other than being a stable, you know, yep. and and finite resource. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I um I, I've been looking into it. You know, I've been reading a lot about it recently. But more and more, I I see of it. The more and more, I just think this is just an absolute tulip bubble. <laughs> it is entirely. Uh, um, do you like do, do you like space dwarfs, Rob? Uh, I do love a space dwarf, John. Yeah. Um, so in the in the distant um, tendrils of time, in the back in the day, uh, there was a game called Rogue Trader, um, which um, uh, was made by Games Workshop, mm. and it became Warhammer Forty Thousand. Okay. And they they had space space dwarfs in there. Um, they were called um, squats, uh, rather. <laughs> <laughs> rather politically incorrectly um and they're, they're back they're coming back and uh they've just announced um a sort of one on a on a kind of hover bike and in keeping with modern times it's a woman excellent a woman biker beardless and uh she's ready to rock so um yeah they're called the leagues of votan unfortunately which is rather a kind of um <laughs> right-wing sort of sounding name, isn't it? Well, you know, the a, whole Warhammer thing is a lot of right-wing sounding stuff in it, isn't there? Yeah, well, it is uh, It is a satirical look at yeah. uh, that, but has been misappropriated. <laughs> exactly. There's a lovely thing uh, on that link, actually. There's a lovely comparison to the old squat trike. I love the old trike. And, the, isn't it and cool? the new thing. It's like, my word, we have come a long way. Yeah, we have come an awful long way. Yeah. 
Incredible. But yeah, it's good to see the old uh, Space Dwarfs back. Um, mm. I'm going to do website of the week, which is continuing my um, uh, the birthday celebrations for the ZX Spectrum. It's uh, uh, torinac.com. <gasps> And it simulates. I've just clicked of, on. I've just clicked on the link. <gasps> yeah. My word. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. So, oh, <laughs> my afternoon sorted. <laughs> so it's basically a, an on, online simulator of hundreds of uh, ZX Spectrum games, and I've put in the uh, in the link the Hobbit game because it's just so evocative of that time. It really is. Like, very. I didn't get very far in that adventure whenever yeah. I played it. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, it used to take about five minutes to draw that picture, didn't it? Yeah. Used to see line by line the drawing of the uh, inside wow. the Hobbit hole. Um, yeah. So uh, anyway, go and have no- a look at that. It's a real nostalgia thump. That. Yeah. Have you got a uh, website of the week? I have. It's uh, it's it's quite niche because it's essentially the website that I've used the most for the last two weeks, which is the Icelandic road conditions and weather site. Um, what I, me and my dad, who I went to Iceland with, we had no, um, plans to go off road. Uh, essentially we were doing the ring road and we were doing the West Fjords and we were just going to go see the main sites. It was that kind of a trip. Um, what I didn't realize is that even the ring road in places is gravel. Right. And so when you get off the ring road, even if you're on a road between two, you know, majorist towns on a certain peninsula, you can really be on a gravel track. Uh, and we didn't realize that we needed this website. I knew about this website, but I thought we're going in May, worst of the weather's over, we're not going off road. We went from uh, a little town called Eilstatha uh, to another town just the other side of a, a little fjord. Um, it was about a 10-mile drive. Um, we set off in sunny weather, and 10 minutes later, we were at the top of a mountain pass in snow with visibility about 30 feet. <laughs> uh, and that took us by surprise a little and made us realise we should be checking the Icelandic road conditions and weather sites more often. Yeah. It was quite a hairy drive, I have to say. Did you have um, a Jeep then or something? Or something? We were in a Kia Seed uh, estate car with two-wheel drive. Nice. Yeah. Uh, we were. I had booked just the smallest car, which would have been something like a bloody Micra, I think. Yeah. And we got to the, uh, the, the hire car place, and me and my dad both had big suitcases, and we're like, got to upgrade. Uh, but, yeah, we, we again, we were planning to go off-road, so I just thought a two-wheel drive car is going to be fine. Um, so we ch- we started checking this this website, and there was a place where we were up in the West Fjords, uh, which Icelanders called the Hand because it's this kind of weird bit at the top left of the country that's all kind of gnarly and full of fjords and inlets. Uh, and we were driving from one place to another, and we had to use the the map. It was snowing quite a lot up there. We had to work out which roads were going to be passable, which weren't. And all the road kind of conditions are color-coded from green, which is perfect, to black, which is impassable, and blue, which is icy for long stretches. And, um, and yeah, it was invaluable. The only time I didn't check it was there's a place called the Red Sand Beach, which is up in the West Fjords. 
and I didn't think it was on all the tourist things and all the tour operator had given us a map with it marked on and I just thought, oh, we'll just drive there. It was the most terrifying drive of my life. If you imagine a quarry with a road dug in the side of it, hairpinning backwards and forwards steeply that is only wide enough for maybe one and a third cars um, with like 800 feet drop at one side. <laughs> uh, and it's just, it's just loose packed gravel. That's, that was really quite terrifying. There's, um, there's nobody coming the other way, was there? Coming back up, we met someone coming the other way and we both just had to kind of inch past each other. But yeah, that was really quite hairy. So if you go to Iceland, one, get a four-wheel drive, <clears throat> even if you have no plans to go off-road, and two, make sure you check the Icelandic road conditions and weather website. <laughs> yeah, the roads in Iceland are, um, in many places, not what you would call roads. <sighs> Sorry about that. It's all right. You sound awful, John. Oh, dear. Yeah, I know. Not good. But um, look what just turned up from Colt Pens. Oh, uh, it's a new notebook. Oh, okay. I didn't, I didn't actually know Colt Pens did notebooks. No, I think they just, they just... That's a little one, isn't it? They've made it smaller. Have they made Have they made these smaller? I don't know. What is it? It's a... Uh, look term. No, it it's, a, a it's a moleskin, but look. Mm. It's way smaller than my old one. Ah. Unless your uh, left hand is smaller than your right and it's just throwing us <laughs> off. No, I shall have a look at that later. That's yeah, that's weird. Um, that's the red one. They only do red, blue, and black now. Yeah, they could do nicer colours, couldn't they? Okay. I mean, well, maybe they do do other colours. They don't do orange. See no, they don't do orange. What have you got, John? It's a horror. It's pie time. My my wife has been buying me rubbish again. Oh, another it's a, pucker pie. It's a pucker all steak. Um, and it was 95p reduced. Um, did you have any pies in Iceland, by the way? No, no pies. Uh, the food was amazing. Was it? Uh, really, until we got up into the West Fjords, where a lot of stuff was still closed, it was trickier to find somewhere nice to eat. Uh, the food was stellar. I mean, really, really good food. Yeah. Did you want to talk about your no trip anymore? Hmm. Have you got anything to say about it? Well, I just wonder, because we we're eating, should I talk about that bit of the trip? Yeah, you can do. This has probably got some of that in it, hasn't it? Mm. So um, I ate horse while we were in Iceland. My father ah. declined. Yeah. We were in, uh, this was in the, approaching the West Fjords, which is known for its, an area that's known for the horses, the thoroughbred Iceland ponies. And because they're so hardy, they they have them out all the year and they breed them for food. Um, two weeks driving around Iceland, we saw six cows uh, and several thousand ponies. Um, so we went to this uh, hotel and on the menu it was steak. Ask your waiter if it's uh, beef or horse. And I thought it was an option, but no, it's just what they've got. So it was horse. So I thought, well, when in Iceland, why not? So I had some horse steak, fillet of horse. Um, and there was a, a little trepidation eating it, but it just tasted like really good fillet steak. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure I'd order it again 
had I the option of other meats. But um, yeah, I didn't eat anything else weird. We were at a hotel back in Reykjavik and I asked the woman on reception for a recommendation of somewhere to eat. And she pointed us in the direction of some terrible kind of touristy Icelandic restaurant that's served whale, shark and puffin. Oh, yeah, like the fermented shark thing. Exactly, which no one in Iceland actually eats. No. Um, but What uh, do they eat, like quiche and salad and stuff? I think so. They make really good cheese okay. in Iceland. They make a really nice feta, and feta-style cheese and some really good um, mozzarella. Oh. So there must be some cows somewhere. Anyway, how's your fucker pie? Um, do you know what? It's not that bad. Um, it's uh, you know, it's a football pie. Um, mm-hmm. Very, very crispy. The meat inside is. Is it all uh, steak, John? Mm-hmm. Do you know what? That's that's probably it's better than quite a lot of posh pies that I've had. Mm. It's not my- too gelatinous. Uh, it's a bit empty, but you know, it's not. Oh, what's yours? Mine's a Marks and Spencer's chicken and. Mushroom pie. Is that their posh gastro ones? It's not one of their posh gastro ones. It's like their bog standard basic ones. So it's been sat there quite a while. The pastry's still crisp. That's pretty tasty. Nothing to write home about, but nothing uh, offensive about it. It's quite nice. I would get a, a solid six and a half. (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to give this a, a, a good six. Mm. Mm. Okay, that's good for you. Yeah, yeah no, it's uh, good. One of the Icelandic food thing, they eat hot dogs a lot. So like all the kind of petrol stations, little cafes you find, uh, kind of little cafes at the top of waterfalls and things, they also have hot dogs. But we'd I'd heard about this place in Reykjavik, which is supposed to serve the best hot dogs in Iceland. It's just a hot dog stall. Uh, so the penultimate day in Iceland, I went there and ordered a hot dog, and it was exactly the same as all the other hot dogs that eaten in Iceland. <laughs> so someone is doing a hell of a job marketing that store. <laughs> well, a hot dog's just a hot dog, right? Yeah, I mean, it comes with like a couple of different sauces on it, not just sort of a straight ketchup and a mustard, and you it comes with sort of boiled chopped onions and really crispy onions so it's it's a delicious hot dog but um yeah it's you get exactly the same in a petrol station anywhere in iceland pretty much okay so why why do you think they eat lots of uh, hot dogs there i don't know just a a thing like a sandwich like they wouldn't have a sandwich they'd have a hot dog is that right i don't know Mm. what's the population like when you get out of is it sparse is it yeah we so there's like I don't know like 150,000 people or 130,000 live, people live in Reykjavik, but then there's kind of like two or three sort of satellite towns and there's Keflavik where the airport is, and they've got kind of you know fifteen twenty thousand. So that kind of whole area is like two hundred and odd thousand, and there's only three hundred thousand people live in Iceland altogether. So the rest of the country is pretty sparse. It's the least densely populated country in Europe. And you can easily, once you get like a couple of days out from Reykjavik, you can easily drive for two hours and not see a car. And this yeah. is on the main, the main ring road. Um, some of the towns we visited up in the West Fjords, and these were the the biggest towns in the West Fjords, had like 1,100 residents 
700 residents. Um, and like, again, at this time of year, there's not many tourists there. So a lot of stuff is still closed. You know, we turn up at a hotel and it's like, oh, is, you know, I'd kind of looked for restaurants in these towns. I'm like, oh, no, sorry, that's not going to be up until June. <laughs> so, um, yeah. But, you know, we always found somewhere to eat. One place we stayed, which was the only really grotty hotel. Um, we had to drive 40 minutes to go get a pizza in a different town and then 40 minutes back. But it was a good pizza, so... <laughs> that was the town that also had the um, Icelandic Museum of Witchcraft and Sorcery, where I mm. I, I was going to buy you some necro pants. Yeah, which are just some dead body skin. Of yeah, a human. but it has to be um, the the person has to willingly sort of donate their skin. While, after while they're, they're alive? After, while they're alive, but yeah. after they're dead. Yeah. So they're donating their corpse essentially to a sorcerer who then skins them from the waist down and then dons that skin, mm-hmm. which then becomes part of them, mm-hmm. and they gain powers. Right. There was never specified what powers. Mm-hmm. Mm. So there you go, necropants. It's one way to cure erectile dysfunction, isn't it? Yeah. Well, not judging by the picture I took of the pair. <laughs> um, yeah. It's a wonderful country. I, you know, I cannot recommend it enough. It was amazing, and I can't wait to go back. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, thank you for your, uh, your report. A pleasure. <laughs> pleasure, Jonathan. Perhaps we should do an episode from Iceland one day. <laughs> yeah, if people would like to fund us, that would be great. The Icelandic Tourist Board, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anything else to report today? No, that is uh, that is it. I'm right. going to spend the rest of the day writing my talk. I think. And when when is your talk? Well, it's not for three three weeks. Eleventh, right. the eleventh of June. All right. Excellent. So I will be running it past you at some point. Why not? To it. It's always good to chat. All right then, Rob. All right, I'll John. Cheers. Take care. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.